Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We are making our way towards communion this morning, and there's some things I want to bring to mind, things I want to show you out of God's Word as the reason we need to celebrate this time of uh, communion, and, and, and I hope it will mean something to you. I also want to ask you to pray for the Mission Serve Committee. Uh, committee. I've been dealing with committees for a while in the last couple of months. Mission Serve group that's, going, that's on the way to Savannah. Pray for them. Even right now, they're traveling, so please, uh, as Jonathan said, Pray for them as they're going. All through scripture, we see and hear the message of love. I mean, it's everywhere. Uh, you, you go to John 3, 16, probably the most beloved verse in all the Bible. It's, at least it's the one that most of us know by heart. For God so loved the world. And then you make your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and Paul gives us this great dissertation on, on love and what it is and what it should demonstrate, and, and it does a remarkable job of revealing that to us. And then, of course, we know that Jesus said the greatest two commandments are two things, and both of those things surround the message of love. He said, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he said and your, and your neighbor as yourself. And so when you look at the whole idea and you look at the theme of the Bible, you can't help but walk away and say, you know something? The theme of the Bible is love, and it really is. Now, there's other things associated with it. I mean, you, can, you deal with justice. You deal with all these other things, purity and all this. But when you look at the message of the Scripture, it all surrounds, I'm convinced, around the message for God to love the world and that we should have a response to that love. And so today, what I want us to do is look at the title, The Crazy Love of the Father. Now, many of you have taken the course and read the book, Crazy Love, written by Francis Chan. Uh, it's a wonderful book. If you've never read it, I think there's a revised edition just came out recently. I invite you to read it. Boy, he, what he does in the book is he defines the love of God, and then he says we are challenged or should be challenged to respond to that love that he has for us in a way that reveals that same love to others. And so look at the introduction on your outline. One could call the love of God or the love of, uh, the, the love of God uh, a crazy kind of love. The word crazy, now this is, this, maybe you've never thought of it this way. The word crazy has many different meanings. I think most of us identify with the word crazy as insane or demented. How many of you, that's pretty much the way you think of the word crazy? But it's much more than that. It goes the other extreme. It can also mean intensely enthusiastic and passionately excited. Have you ever thought of crazy in that way? But that's what love is. That's, that's the whole idea. That's the definition of that. Now, I believe before we can respond to a love from deity, we need to attempt to discover its essence. So what is the essence of the love of the Father? Now, to do that, I, wanna, I want to define the word essence for you. It's interesting how we use words, and sometimes we don't grasp the whole meaning of the words. And so when you look at this idea of essence, it literally means the basic, real, and unchanging nature of something or someone. Have you ever thought of the word essence that way? So listen to it again. The basic and unchanging nature of something or someone. It also is this. It's significant individual features. Now, how many of you agree that God has significant individual features? He does. The Bible all through it talks about it. 
And then so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to, to take the love of the Father, the love of God, and I want us to, to, to look at it in light of us coming to the communion table this morning. And so what I want you to do is look on your outline. First of all, I want you to see the magnitude of God's love. God's love is unique and nothing can be compared to it. You may say, well, wait a second. I have a love for my spouse. I mean, it's, it's a real love. I have a love for my children. I've just over the last eight years understood the love of a grandparent. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like that either. And so we look at all these things and we say, oh, but we, I do see love. I see glimpses of love. I can't imagine it being any greater. But the love of the Father is the greatest thing this world has ever experienced. Some of the world knows about it. A lot of the world is unaware of it. But there's one thing that we can agree. His love is unique. Now, why is his love unique? Because 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 tells us this. And this is remarkable when you think about it. God is what? Love. God is love. And so when you look at the very essence of who God is, what does that literally mean? It means the essence of God, his unchanging feature, his unchanging nature, his significant feature is this, that he is love. Now, that, that's amazing when you think about it. He's love. But what I want us to do is look at this. How does that relate to us? The magnitude of God's love. I want, the first thing I want you to see is it's privilege. The privilege of this kind of love. First John chapter 3, look at verse 1. He says, behold, what manner of love. Now, I want you to think about what he's talking about here. Manner, what manner of love. He, he, he's not saying, I want, you to, I want you to get your mind around something. No, what he's doing is he's introducing the thought of God's love is like this. It's a marvelous love. It's a wonderful love. And then he says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. Bestowed, I don't know that we use that a whole lot in our, in our, our language, but it's very interesting. It literally means to extend. He extended his love to us. That we should be called children of God. Now, the first part of verse 1, as I said earlier, could be translated, Behold, what a crazy love. Or, what an intensely enthusiastic love the Father has for us. The whole wonderful plan of salvation, listen, begins with the crazy love of God. Now, some of you would say, boy, I tell you, I'd just soon you use another word than crazy. I'm still caught up in this uh, demented world when it comes to crazy. No, let me tell you. I mean, it really describes it well. It talks about who he is. Let me, let me give you that demonstration, Romans 5, 8. Nothing could be clearer than this. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. Let me tell you something. The Christ that died for us is the one that was sent by the Heavenly Father. You're talking about a crazy kind of love. You're talking about a love that's hard to get your mind around. You're talking about a love in which you look at your own children, you look at whoever you love most, and you say, hey, am I willing to send that person for someone else? Probably not. But then John goes further to describe this love. He, describing its privilege, at the end of verse 1 it says this. That we should be called children of God. There was a marvelous, wonderful love that God the Father extended to us. He extended to us. And then here's what comes with that. The fact that we can now be called children of God. Now think about that. I mean, I think, again, and please understand, I'm where most of you probably are. 
I was saved at age eight. You've heard my testimony. I can't remember a thought uh, being raised uh, of a thought that I, I wasn't aware of God and who Jesus was. How many of you have a similar testimony? I mean, we've all, it's always been in our minds. Here's, here's the downfall of knowing him all our lives. <laughs> Is the, is the fact that sometimes we can read certain verses and look at certain things of what it says about him, and we look at it and we say, yeah, I've always known that. But y'all, it's a big deal when we start talking about the love of God. Let me just tell you this. Before we came to know him, the Bible describes us, listen, as an offense to God. Not just an offense to God. The Bible described us as an enemy of God. Now, that's, that's even hard. How many of you want to be an enemy of, of, of deity? How many of you want to be an enemy of someone who created you and can speak you and speak you out of existence? That's exactly where we stood. And then all of a sudden, that love was extended to us through Jesus Christ. And, and I don't know about you. I can't understand why the world hates that love. You hear all these different messages about uh, hatred of Christians and hatred of Jesus. Why? He extends the greatest love the world's ever known. There's not another religion that even comes close to the message of Jesus Christ. Not another. And all of a sudden, we're here and we're faced with this. Listen. At all points of his love, listen, it's an unconditional type of love. How many of you deserve to be loved by the Father? None of us, based on the based on scripture. But through Jesus Christ, every one of us can be. And that's the difference. That's the difference. God's love brings us as believers into a new relationship, a new reality. And it has privileges, by the way. Listen to this. We are now born again. How many of you need a fresh start every once in a while? Yeah, we all do, don't we? How many of you got that when you came to know Jesus? The Bible says a time of repenting produces a time of refreshing. And, and it's a whole idea of coming before him and, and realizing we don't have to live in shame and in guilt. And it's a fact we were born again. How about this? We're adopted by God. The scripture clearly states that. We're adopted by God to be his children. We become recipients of his unconditional and lavish love, his crazy love. We become, here it is, heirs of God. Now, that's pretty big. Again, most of us have heard this message all our lives. And some of us sit here and we're like, yeah, I've heard that before, i heard that before. Have you really heard that before? I mean, think about it. Everything that was given, that will be given to Jesus and everything that he's, he's owed and given as, as the, the son of God will be bestowed upon us also. That blows my mind. And it should yours. Not only do we see the privilege of God's love, but also it's perplexity. It's perplexity. First John chapter 3, if you look at the second part of verse 1, it says, Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now, all this is written in the context of the love of the Father. It's, it's that manner of love talk. So all this is in that context. So here's what that means. This means that the world does not get it. The world does not understand the love of the Father. How many of you agree with that by just looking around the world today? It's being rejected. Why in the world would it be rejected? And all of a sudden, so it goes back to the verse 1 when it says what manner of love. Now, I want you to hold your place here. And I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to see this for yourself. I could have put it on the screen, but I want you to see it right there in front of you. Turn over there. Hold your place here. Turn there. As you turn there, listen to this. The word manner in this context in verse 1 it is a reaction of astonishment. 
That's literally what it means. Obviously, from both the believer and the unbeliever. Now think of this. What manner of love. This is an astonishing kind of love. The believer, listen, stands in, admon- in, in astonishment of God's love. That's, that's what it's implying. However, the unbeliever cannot fathom God's love. The world, the unbeliever doesn't get it. Doesn't get it. Some don't want to get it. But they don't get it. It's a love that it's just hard to figure. So I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to look at verse 17. The context of what I'm about to read to you is this whole idea of how Paul is challenging us that our inner person needs strengthening and encouragement uh, to, to continue to move on in this world. And so here's what he says. He says in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, now let me say this. Our response to his love, and this is, this is backed up in Scripture, and it's really backed up here. Our response to his love is, is a response given by faith. You do know that, right? You place your faith in him. That's a response to what he provided. That's a response to his unconditional love. So your heart's through faith. And then he says this, that you being rooted and grounded in this love or in, in love. He's talking about the love of the Father. And again, this is your response to his love. He wants you to be rooted and grounded in that love. Now, how many of you, um, when you think about that, it's like, okay, rooted and grounded in his love. I thought I'd just respond, I'd just give my life to him. Yeah, that's what you do. That's your initial response to him is to receive what he's offering, to respond to his unconditional love. But guess what? Paul demonstrates it this way. He says, no, no. You need to understand that you need to be not only in that love, encompassed by that love. You need to be rooted and grounded in it. Now, why would that be important? Because there's going to come times in your life where that love is going to be tested. There's going to come times in your life where you're going to be, maybe you're not going to have that kind of faith you need to have in your response to him. There's going to be times where you're sitting there and you're wondering, you know, what God, God, what in the world are you up to? You know what we all have to come to understand? God, I trust you with this. Listen, if our love is not developed, some people call it discipleship. I, th- I think, it's, I think the, the key of discipleship is for us to understand the love that's been extended to us and for us to understand and live in the context of that love. If we understand that God loves us, uh, that, that there's a purpose in our lives, that he wants to accomplish something great in our lives, and all of a sudden we're hit by the worst news imaginable and it directly affects us, listen, we can stand based on that love that we can accept whatever God brings our way. And that's something that we don't tend to get our minds around a lot of time. A lot of times those who, and, and please understand, I understand initial reaction. I've been around people when they've received some of the worst news imaginable. And, and I know the shock that hits someone's life. And, and I understand that. But what we should get is we should get to the point where, God, I don't understand. I have no clue what you're up to here. I, I don't understand why you would allow this in my life. But, God, I trust you with it. I don't understand it, but I trust you. The only way you get there is to be discipled and in in rooted and grounded in this kind of love, the love that he presents to us. It goes on. 
He says, being rooted and grounded in this love that you may be able to comprehend, that you can discover with all the saints what is the width, the length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ, to know it in every way imaginable, to know it in ways you never thought possible, to know it in such a way that it, and then it says this. And by the way, this passes knowledge. The love that's given to us, this is amazing. Think about this. You can't get there intellectually to understand it. Do you really understand love intellectually? I dare say most of us don't. It comes through the experience. It comes to responding something to something. And that's what he's talking about. And then here's the goal. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the result of the response that I have the fulfillment of what God is doing. It doesn't mean I understand everything he's doing in my life, but I come to the correct conclusion that, God, you are up to something. I don't understand it, but I'm telling you this. I'm rooted and grounded in your love. You only want what's best for me. I may not understand it till I get to heaven, but I'm putting myself before you. But I know you love me. That's what we're talking about here. A love... We not only look back to, but also live in and experience today. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance. Remembrance is a look back. And so what we're going to do is we're going to come around this table and we're going to look back and we're going to look at the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we're mainly going to be focused on the death and the sacrifice for us. But you know something? Here's the reality of it all. We're coming here to celebrate what's been done in the past, but guess what? We can live in the reality of what's been done in the past. Did you know that? The Bible talks about that. There's something in Scripture called the heiress tense. I love it. I mean, there's good theology when it comes to something called the heiress tense. It means there's something that's been done back here. That, that, that the properties of it and the features of it and the reality of it is felt going forward. And that's what we're doing this morning. And so what we're doing is we're looking back at what provided for us that unconditional love. But we're also acknowledging that we can live in the reality of that love. Even when we don't understand it. Even when life doesn't make sense. Even though sometimes we cry out to God and say, why? It's there. But it's a look back. But it's also something we can experience. So look on your outline. Not only the magnitude of God's love, but also the mystery of God's love. Now, let me ask you a simple question. How many of you agree that God's love is a mystery? How, how many of you sometimes are almost overwhelmed by the fact that he could love you? I mean, it, it really is amazing. I, I think there's some people, I, God, I'm just going to say it. I can see how God likes me and loves me. I'm not talking about me. I've met people that I think are there. And I'm sitting there and like, wow, that's something else. Bless your heart. But you, you know something? When we really start to understand the love God has for us, we can't help but respond in a way that's like, it's just overwhelming. It's almost like, wow, how could he love me like this? I mean, I look at my life and I see how my life sometimes is so contradictory to his nature. Did you know God always acts within his nature? That's what the Bible tells us. He's pure. He's holy. He's love. He's just. And all of a sudden, he reached beyond all that, and he says, this is how much I love you, and, and here's how you can respond to this love. 
And so we look at this, and I don't know about you, but it's a mystery. And, and part of that mystery deals directly with us. Look on your outline. The mystery of God's love, first of all, our transformation. There, there's a whole idea of transformation. Now, there's, there's major parts of the whole idea of transformation that I do understand because Scripture reveals it. But there's parts of it sometimes I don't understand. And that's what I want to bring to you right now. All believers, listen to this, go through a transformation when they receive God's love. When they accept Christ as their Savior. This transformation has a mystery associated with it. Meaning there are parts of this transformation that have not been revealed yet. There's things that are still going on in our life. There's things that surround this idea of what God is doing in our life. We don't quite understand. How many of you agree you don't quite understand sometimes what God's up to? You don't quite understand what all this is really going to mean one day. And we're all there. So first of all, our transformation, look on your outline, has a present reality. There's a present reality noted with our uh, transformation. First John chapter 3, verse 2 kind of hits on this. Beloved, now we are children of God. That is a statement. That love reached out to us. We responded in faith. Now, what does he declare us? We are now children of God. We're part of the family. That is the present reality. Listen, at the moment we receive Christ, something miraculous happens. Now, some people say, you know something? I received Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, there's nothing that really hit me or anything. But I'm here to tell you that, that, but let me tell you the reality of it. Based on what we read in Scripture, here's what happens. When we come to know Christ, we are changed. Our soul and spirit are changed. Okay? James talks about this. If you want to look at what transformation looks like, go to the book of James. There's practical application as to what this transformation looks like. But here's what happens. We're changed. Our soul and our spirit is changed. Our body has not been changed yet. How many of you are fully aware of that? Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. The body hasn't been changed yet. But our soul and spirit has. We become indwelt by the Spirit of God. Let me tell you something. When something holy touches someone who's responded to God, something holy begins to reside on us. Let me tell you one thing. Let me tell you a fact. Something is going to change. Because what happens is this. I don't know about you, but even at eight, I figured this out. I don't, I, I don't look at sin. I look at sin differently when something holy is within me. It affects me differently. Now, it doesn't mean I don't sin. It doesn't mean I can be caught in some bondage. I, I, we're all fully capable of that. That's, that's part of the body, the nature, the flesh, and all that. But, but here's what happens. We'll never be satisfied in that sin. That sin will never truly make us happy. It may fill a void just for a moment. But boy, I tell you, you come past that, and all of a sudden, you, you start being aware of what's really going on. That's called transformation. And then we become, we become an object of God's love. That's when transformation takes place. Now, not only is there a present reality of this transformation, but there's also a future reality. This is the part that hasn't happened yet. First John chapter 3, look at the second part. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Now, we're children of God. We're, we're living in, re, in that reality. We're living in our bodies. Our soul and spirit has been touched by that. And then second part of verse 2, it has not been revealed what we shall be. This is a reference to the body. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. How many of you think that would be a pretty impressive sight? You know, I love this time of year. I love this time of year because of all the different cloud things that go on. 
Now, I did get a little tripped out with that thunderstorm yesterday, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I don't know about your house, but I think the thing was right over the house. I mean, it was popping everywhere. TV goes out, I'm like, oh, my goodness. We're going. Anyway, I was worried about this place. It seems like every time lightning passed by, lightning runs into one of these buildings. But, but here, here's what's interesting. I love to look up and see all the cloud formations. You see the, you know, you'll see the darkness, and you'll see the sun. You see the rays come through. How many, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever sat there, and I don't mean to be whacked out or anything, but have you ever sat there and thought, that would be a good picture for Jesus to come back on? Right there. That one right there. I see, you see, you got the darkness over here. You got the sun. Okay, roll. You know, let, go. Action. You know? Come on. <laughs> but I love that. I like what this time of year represents. And you see all these different contradictions around. Oh, yeah, great place for Jesus to come back. But did you know he really is coming back? We lose sight of that. We don't live like that sometimes. This is the mystery. This is the future reality. When faith becomes sight, we receive a new body that's no longer corrupted, no longer plagued with the pains and sorrows and the bondages of this world. Looking forward to that? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, if you're ever on Jeopardy, it's the resurrection chapter. It explains the resurrection. So if Jeopardy, Alex Trebetter, the question says, you know, uh, explains resurrection. What is 1 Corinthians chapter 15? There you go. You got it. Okay? It's probably going to be a 2,000 question, a $2,000 question. But anyway, um, I'll shut up now. I'm kind of, you know, I was losing some of you. I could see you sitting there, you know, I was like, well, anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look what it says. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. How many of you are fully aware of that? It is raised in incorruption. Now, that's the part that's still the mystery. We've never lived there before. Here it is. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. The second part to each of those have not been realized yet. That's the mystery. That's the part we can't even comprehend. That's the part that our loved ones who have gone on before us are experiencing right now. But we haven't been there yet. And it's still to come. So verse 2 says this. We shall be like him. This is the mysterious part of God's love. And it will only be realized at our death when that full reality of that comes. Not only our transformation, but look on your outline, but also his revelation. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. We just read that. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Now, think of this. At his revealing, at his coming, our faith will become sight. Everything's going to come together. All the loose ends will come together. All the pain of this world that we can't figure out is a part of our life. It all comes together. How many of you are looking forward to seeing him just because of who he is? Just because of the description we read in scripture and think, man, that'd be cool to see. But you know something else that comes with him coming? The parts of this world we did not understand. The suffering that we watched our loved ones go through. The suffering we may be experiencing ourselves. The broken relationships are lying everywhere. And the whole time we were sitting here in this world on this side of that mystery thinking, how is this going to turn out good? God, you said it would. God, I don't understand. And God, I just, I want to. I want to understand you. 
I want to understand your ways. And you know something? Sometimes I think we get glimpses of this, this side of the mystery, this side of heaven. But for those of you who still don't have the answers, the answers are coming. I think part of eternity, part of the unveiling of eternity, because look at what it says. Look at carefully at what it says. When he is revealed, here's what it implies. When he's revealed, we're going to see him as he is. And guess what? When we see him as he, as he is, we'll see a reflection of what our lives were all about. That's the re- revelation. That's what's coming. That's what we look forward to. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look here on the screen. But when that which is perfect has come, who is that? Jesus, his, his coming. Then that which is in part, the part of the mystery hasn't been revealed yet. I believe it's a reference to the body getting its glorification. It's the body, the fallen condition. Look at what it says about it. It will be done away with. It's going to be done away with. It's gone. It's out of here. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. You remember when you were a child and how many times you're just very naive I got a three-year-old's grandson. He's not naive. That rascal's figured everything out. <laughs> Seems to, anyway. But you remember when we were children, we, we, just, we were in all of everything, we, 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 but we still didn't see it all. We didn't understand things as an adult would. We didn't understand if there was maturity packed in because we're asking about everything. How many of you remember when your children and grandchildren got to points where they're asking questions about everything? And you finally go, will you quit asking me questions? <laughs> they're trying to figure it out. This is a reference to that. He says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, when there, when there was a more maturing going away, uh, coming up, I put away childish things. Here, here's what many would say about this. Things made more sense. I began to understand things more clearly. How many of you, as you've grown in your faith, have begun to understand God more clearly than you used to? Let me say this. If that's not going on in you right now, you need to ask yourself why. You know why? Because we serve a God who loves us so much that He wants us to grow in Him. That, that literally, he, he, he wants us in this, in this place, in, in who we are in this body, in this fallen world, for the revelation of who he is to come clearer and clearer to us each day that we live through every experience we encounter. He desires that. And if that's not going on, you need to ask yourself some very difficult questions because that's what he desires. It goes on, it says, for now we see him in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. That means one day we're going to see it as it is. But now I know in part, but then I shall know, be not, shall know just as I'm also known. That, you know what that's a reference to? Those things that, that were unanswerable, it appeared. Those things that didn't make sense. It's all coming together. And I imagine with a crowd this size, there's many of us trying to make sense of what we've been through and what we're going through. The mystery of God's love will be revealed. What we do not understand, listen, one day will become clear. Next, we see the motivation of God's love. First of all, his redemption of love. His redemption. Do you know what the whole idea of redemption is really all about? It's the fact that God reached out. And guess what? It wasn't just that God reached out. He had the desire to reach out. 
That's even more impressive. And so 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says this, And everyone who has this hope in him, now the word hope in this context implies, listen, that our spiritual lives are in a process awaiting a future completion of our redemption. How many of you knew that? Some of you did. I can see it on your face. Well, no, because you didn't raise your hand. Never mind. But anyway. <laughs> but it is. We are awaiting the final steps of redemption. We're waiting for that. Now, the reality of redemption is already here. We've already been secured. He's purchased us with his blood, all that. But the full reality of it is still yet to be determined what it looks like. Here's how I know that. First Peter chapter 1. Look on the outline. Or the screen, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us to a living hope, a new reality, not seen, but coming. There's something coming through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away. That's still to come. That's part of the mystery. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That is a picture of redemption being completed. Next, not only do we see his redemption of love, his desire to reach out. Next is our response of love, desire to, to be like him. Now, isn't that interesting? That he reaches out with his unconditional love. Our response should be to be like him. To be like him. I was talking... I'm tired. I'm sorry about bringing up grandparent stories, and I'm sure you're sick of them, but I love telling them, so <laughs> this is my job. <laughs> but um, I was sitting there talking to our three-year-old grandson, and we were at the table Thursday night eating, and, and uh, we started talking about names. I won't tell you some of the names that came up. It may be offensive to some of you, but uh, anyway, young, young children like the, the word B-U-T-T. -T. For some reason, they think it's hilarious, you know. But anyway, and I found some names of football players, last name B-U-T-T, -T, and they thought that was hilarious. But anyway, we started talking about names, and my three-year-old said, um, uh, your granddaddy. I said, I'm also Brian. No, your granddaddy. And then I finally convinced him that I'm Thomas Brian Glisson. Now, guess what he, guess what he wanted to do after that? He, ran, he went around saying, I want to be Thomas Brian Glisson. He did. He, he did. He, he just walked around. And so when his dad came to pick him up, we were sitting there. I said, tell him your name. I want to be Thomas Brian Glisson. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, that's my boy sitting there. Yes, sir. <laughs> no greater honor. They didn't want my grandson to be Thomas Brangland. I want to be like me. Now, there's a lot of pressure with that associated with it, by the way. But I'm here to tell you, it's a picture of what we see here. It's a picture of our desire to be like him. 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Why would you do that? Just as he is pure. We want to be like him. We want to be like him. And so in the meantime, our desire in response to his love is to become like him. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know what the, you know, it says, for they shall see God? I, I believe that part of it. But it literally means this. They shall be like him. That's the picture. Listen to this. The Christian life summed up is a progressive preserving response to a love extended to us by a loving deity 
expressed through the one revealed to us known as Jesus, who happens to be our lead story. Y'all, look at the application. Unbelievers sin against their creator while believers sin against their father. Have you ever thought about that? Unbelievers sin against a creator. How do we know that? Because they're not children of God according to the scripture. Believers are children of God. We've been given that title. We've been given that inheritance. And so when we sin, we're not sinning against some creator that's out there. We're sinning against our heavenly father. And there's a big difference. Unbelievers sin against the law of God. This is what part that hurts. While believers sin against the love of God. You ever thought of that? That's exactly what it is. You know why? Because unbelievers are still living under the law. They're going to be judged based on the law. But you know something? We're not going to be judged based on the law because we're in Christ. We're in Christ. So therefore, when we sin, it's not about law. It's not about some sterile creator out there, some sterile law out there. No, we're sinning against the heavenly father. But not only that, we're, we're sinning against the love of that father. And that should mean something. Because it's a crazy love that he has for us. So, do we understand the crazy love of God? Is our love for him intensely, enthusiastic, and passionately exciting? Is that the kind of love, the same love he loves us with? Do we we return that type of love? I'll be honest with you, sometimes I I don't. Sometimes I'm just, I can become flippant. You, but we need to be mindful of what he did, what he's doing, and the completion of what he started is coming, all motivated by his crazy love for us. So when we take the time here in just a moment to get around this table, here's what we need to understand. This table represents the love of a father who sent his only son, that that son, listen, would fulfill, would fulfill the judgment that should have been against us. You understand that, right? That's what this means. And we're coming to identify with that and also what that work can produce in us. What it can produce in us. That we're a new creation. We're a new creature. We're something that's never existed before when we came to know Christ. So in just a moment, what we're going to ready to do, and I, we have five tables here, and there's two, you can get two, ten, really, ten stations here, okay? And so we just want to invite you to come. And as you come, here it is. Here, here's what we're after. Jesus said in his word that we are to remember his death and sacrifice and its demonstration of the Father's love and provision for us by observing communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was talking about when Jesus took the bread. It says, and Jesus took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember the love that I've extended to you. Likewise, Jesus also took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup and it's the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Therefore, we are to eat the bread to remember his body sacrificed on our behalf, and drink the juice to remember the blood that was also shed on our behalf. So after this prayer, I'm just going to ask you to get up from your seat and come and take communion and then just go back to your seat.
So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just come to you now and we thank you for the provision that was made for us through Jesus Christ. And, and, and Lord, I, I don't know how you send someone you love so much to, to a terrible task as Jesus had. But Father, we know that it was all extended by love, unconditional love, a love that in no way could ever be paid back. Father, we are recipients of that love if we know you as our Lord and Savior. And Father, I just pray that as we take this communion in just a moment, that that only those who, who identify with Christ, those who are believers in Christ, those who have accepted him on his terms, as they come to this table, that they will remember, that they will remember the love that was extended to them. But Father, that they not just stop there. But they would realize that the love that you extended to them is also a love that you want us to extend to others and to extend back to you. And Lord, forgive us when we're flipping about our love. Lord, forgive us when we choose sin over the love that that, that reaches out to us. Father, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for the redemptive plan. We don't understand it all sometimes, but we thank you for it. Father, for that person that's sitting in this room and they don't understand what they're going through right now. Matter of fact, there's a part of them that's just, they're angry, they're hurt. They almost feel betrayed by you because they just don't understand the context of what they're going through. Father, I pray that maybe through this service you've revealed yourself in such a special way. Lord, you'll just meet their need. Help them to get a glimpse of possibly what you're up to. But Father, help us all come to this table remembering the great sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.